part two of miscellaneous problems with the LDS Church. Next on Polygamy, what love is this? This is part two of our miscellaneous problems of the LDS Church as we find in Earl Erskine's book entitled Fatal Flaws of the LDS Church which he wrote and we reviewed a, 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 a few weeks ago. The book outlines many of the issues and the contradictions in Mormon claims and the teachings that Earl discovered in his journey from Mormonism to biblical truth. And I'd like to thank you again, Earl, for coming and sharing. It's always, it's always fun to have these little discussions. I appreciate it. And hope that our viewers will pick up on some of these interesting but very important contradictions yeah, sure. in the things that Joseph Smith taught and that the LDS Mormonism polygamy yeah. groups teach. Now, the final chapter of your book entitled The 27 Miscellaneous Problems that you didn't cover in the rest of your book. Yeah, these were basically, I, I kept thinking, these are just little short snippets of things that people can look up and research more on their own. Mm -hmm. They really didn't fill up a chapter, and I didn't want to make a three-volume book <laughs> or anything. And um, This wasn't intended to be a terribly scholarly uh, book. It was my journey. Your my, journey. Things I learned and how they affected me. And it's important. And so, and so I originally called them juicy tidbits <laughs> because uh, and then we kept thinking maybe that was too much of a slap in the face. <laughs> so we just put some did you knows you know, yeah. just miscellaneous problems. Did you know that? But little things that really should be or could be investigated and and should be investigated, and, and yeah. we encourage, we do this to encourage our viewers to do that, just that, to yeah. check it out for yourself. Yeah, and for with sure. a with a mind open, God, show me the truth, no matter what it is. Yeah. I want the truth. That's true. Um, so the last time we discovered many of the problems with the historical Joseph Smith, and we didn't quite get through all them, yeah. and so we're going to um, go back um, and pick up where we left off on that, but. Before we do, tell our viewers where they can get copies of your book. Oh, yeah. We can, they, can, it can, <laughs> they can be purchased at MSCBC, Main Street Church, Brigham City, mscbc.org, mm -hmm. and on Amazon, and it's in Kindle form as well. So. In Kindle and hard um, and softback. Or give me a call if you know my number. Yeah, okay. Access to me, I can get a copy for you. And it's a very good book. It's readable. It's highly readable, easy Thanks. to read, very interesting. And and in it is uh, the gentleness and the love that Earl has for the truth and also for the LDS people. Yeah, yeah I feel like they're blinded. Um, yes. As I was. As just like we were in our But it's years. a willing blindness. We don't want to look too deep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the last point um, with, the, with the issue of Joseph Smith was his perceived martyrdom. Uh, what is the problem with the official historical account of Joseph Smith's death? Well, it, it, he's always claimed to, or in the church, he's claimed to be a martyr, which mm -hmm. usually means you go to death, uh, not willingly necessarily, but as a lamb, a lamb to the slaughter, That's as they say. That's what he called himself. But he had a gun, shot a couple of people, uh, mm -hmm. so... Mm -hmm. It wasn't exactly a... It was a gunfight. You know, it, was it was a, a battle. Gun fight. He, he pro if he had had more weapons, he probably would have used them. And mm -hmm. so I mean, it's speculation. But yeah, he didn't exactly go as a lamb to the... 
And, and, I've, and I've heard critics, uh, well, he had the right to defend himself. Well, true, but he was in, locked up in jail. Right. Why did he have a gun? Yeah. Why did the others with him have a gun? Why did they have a bottle of booze? I mean, there's a lot of questions in about, that whole about this number. whole thing. Yeah, you don't hear any of that if you go to the the Navu or the uh, yeah Navu. the official <laughs> official history Carthage. Yeah. If you yeah. go to the Car Carthage jail and the LDS person is explaining the program there, mm -hmm. they're not going to talk about all that negative stuff. Mm -mm. Just, no, just and I remember some some of the conversations I had when when I first started talking to my family about this, and they insisted he went to, to his death like a lamb to the slaughter. Yeah. They, and I said, well, actually it was a gun battle. And they thought I was just making it up. But the fact remains, as you wrote on page 248, Joseph Smith did not die as an innocent martyr. No. Rather, he went down in a gun battle. Right. Now, he was not a lamb being led to the slaughter. That was reserved for Jesus, okay? And only Jesus. I know he thought he was as good or better than Jesus, but he really wasn't. And he actually was a wolf in sheep's clothing, is what he was. And we have a, a quote from Second Peter, but both Second Peter and Jude, the book of Jude, describes God's warnings to us about false prophets and false teachers, of which Joseph Smith fits right in yeah. with what he says. So let's, what does Second Peter say? Second Peter is so good. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep." They can't escape, is what that's yeah, saying. Yeah. They can't escape. And and what some of the things that Joseph Smith taught were, most of the, everything, yeah. was were destructive heresies. Yeah. And one of them being, of course, polygamy. And, oh, for sure. And, and I, I do believe it was a revelation from the devil, the polygamy thing. Because it never was in the Bible the way Joseph Smith said it was. No. And never has Mormon polygamy been lived the way the people lived it in the Bible, nor was it ever a command. I wonder what, how Joseph Smith would have treated polygamy in the Book of Mormon if he had written it in 1836 or 1838 Good instead question. of 1830. Good question. After he got the taste of, uh, yeah. of that yeah. <laughs> polygamy. Yeah, I think it would have been more like Doctrine and Covenants 132. Yeah. <laughs> But it oh. made a few changes, I'm sure. Yes, for sure. I never thought of that, but that's <laughs> a good a good thing to think about. Well, our next, uh, we're past the Joseph Smith section. Now we're going to go into the, the other sections um, of your 27 miscellaneous problems. We're going to begin with North American archaeology and DNA. Not only is there no archaeological or, archaeological or DNA evidence for the Book of Mormon's claims, for the no. Book of Mormon's claims, no. they are dishonest by claiming there is evidence. Uh, briefly explain that. And what bothered you the most about that? <laughs> well, the thing that bothered me most is I learned that uh, Vikings came over to Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, probably for a maybe one, 200-year period. A small group of them came over. Mm -hmm. Well, there's 
many evidences of their culture, of that group of people living in those areas. Mm -hmm. uh, you can look up pictures or look up Vikings in North America or something. Yeah. This was many years. Uh, this was about 900 A.D., 1000 A.D., somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And um, very much evidence of their being here and their burning fires and make, build, building buildings and or caves or whatever using to live in. And here we have millions of Lamanites and Nephites across the country, apparently. Yeah. And there's no evidence, not, archaeological not evidence of, at all of, not of their... Not one bit. And they smelted, apparently. They did steal. Huge industries, iron yeah. And, uh, and big, massive civilizations. And, of course, the critics will say, well, we just haven't found them yet, probably in the jungles of South America or something. But <laughs> there have been several... Uh, very astute historians and archaeologists that have gone in trying to look for Book of Mormon evidence, and they've actually left the church mm -hmm. yeah. because there isn't anything to. Uh, and yet to they support. still claim that there that there might be some evidence out there, or, or they see yeah. something. Oh, that's proof the Book of Mormon is true. Well, it's kind of like Santa really Claus, isn't. you know. Anyway, there's, yeah. there's a Santa Claus up there, and just because we haven't seen him doesn't mean he's not there. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. And, and, and also, I'd like to make the point that time and science are enemies of the claims of Mormonism. They really are. Especially yeah. with the DNA, the lack of evidence or, and proof well, of the, the DNA. Well, the DNA has come along and proven that they're Asian, not, not Israelites. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and God never commands faith without some evidence. <laughs> never does. Blind faith. Point 11 is entitled The Kinderhook Plates and Other Embarrassments. Now, years ago, actually it was 10 years ago, that you and I did a program on this yeah. in, in TV20. Yeah. Yeah, the link is on the screen, by the way, if anybody wants to go back and take a look at it. It's episode number 6.22, and we did it June 20th of 2013. Um, what love is this TV, um, and if you want to watch it, but it, it brings out more details than we're going to discuss today. But uh, what bothers you the most about the Kinderhook fiasco? Can I call it that, or the, the event the fiasco? Fiasco. Uh, <laughs> well, the thing that bothered me, and, and the, now the more that I've thought about this, there were actually five areas of Joseph Smith's translating, and they are the Old Testament. He translated the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. He translated these kinderhook plates. He translated a Greek psalter, mm -hmm. which is psalms or songs. And he translated the Book of Mormon. And he translated the Book of Abraham, mm -hmm. supposedly, in the facsimiles. And right. every one of these things has been proven to be false. Every one of them. Every one of them. Nothing has stood up under scrutiny. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, this... Uh, Kinderhook plates, they've admitted now, even in the ensign in the church magazine, that it appears to be of 19th century origin. Right. Joseph Smith said it was some ancient scroll. Right, right. The Greek Psalter uh, cover, is covered by uh, Grant Palmer in his book, Insider's View of Mormon Origins. I'd like to read just a quick little thing. Sure. Henry Coswell who knew of Joseph Smith, wanted to trick him, kind of backwards from what the kinderhook plates. Because the kinderhook plates just had scratches on them. Mm -hmm. They didn't mean anything. But this Henry Coswell actually had a Greek psalter, and he knew it was Greek. Okay. Yeah. 
So he test, to test Joseph Smith's credibility by presenting him with a known ancient Greek Psalter for his examination. And then after Joseph Smith looks at it, he said, Coswell said, I think it might be Greek. And Joseph Smith said, no, it ain't Greek at all, except perhaps a few words. This book is very valuable. It is a dictionary of Egyptian hieroglyphics. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, the figures oh my. are Egyptian hieroglyphics, and them which follow is an interpretation. And these characters are like the letters that was engraven on the golden plates. Ooh. <laughs> uh, supposedly, that's what Joseph Smith said. So here we have... Every evidence, the, the book of Abraham and the facsimiles that he mm -hmm. included there. That's been proven, right? The Dead Sea Scrolls comes along and miraculously, or not so miraculously, but shows how, how trustworthy the Old Testament was written exactly. originally. Exactly, true. Not with Joseph Smith's changes, but the way it was written. It's the way the, we have it in today's Bibles. Yeah, and then the heirs of the Book of Mormon and the whole thing with the seer stone and all that. Joseph Smith never... His story never held up no. at all with any of these five so-called translation so situations. So he, he never had any translation, ancient language ability no. reading I at all. I don't think so. Well, I think we, like you say, got five proofs. Yeah. What more do we need yeah, really to do that? Sure. Uh, so it was a bungled attempt uh, to translate yeah. the, the Kinderhook and, and also right. the Psalter. And also, uh, if you compare the Bible with his translation of the Bible, there's also some very bungled up places there as well. Good so reason. Good yeah. reason to reject um, Joseph Smith's claims. Yeah. The next one, which maybe not too many people know about, is sure the Elijah and Elisha. Now, this was something that I had discovered myself very early on in my investigations. Really? Good for you. Um, and yet, uh, and I've looked for more information or more people writing about it since, and I have found very little discussion yeah. about this. And, and I don't know if, if, it's a huge error, but I don't know if, if it should be made more of than, than that or not. But um, those who embrace Joseph Smith, if they would just study their Bibles a little bit, their yeah. Bible languages, they would find errors like this. Yeah. And maybe you're afraid to find the truth. I don't know, but it uh, nothing's more important in this whole world and in, in your existence than finding the truth. And, and I also think that this may be one reason why the LDS Church discourages their members from reading anything besides the King James Version, because if they read other English versions, it would come out. They, these errors would show up. These yeah. errors of, of the way Joseph Smith used words from the Bible. So explain Elijah versus Elias to us. Well, I'm going to read section 110, just two verses. It says, after this, Eli this is Joseph Smith having a vision of, uh, I think, at the temple, probably the Kirtland Temple uh, or, um, dedication. Okay. I'm guessing, I think so. After this, Elias appeared and committed the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, saying that in us and our seed, all generations after us should be blessed. And after this vision had closed, another great and glorious vision burst upon us, for Elijah the prophet, who was taken to heaven without tasting death, stood before us. Okay. Very clear that he's talking about two different individuals. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting is the word Elias does not appear in the Old Testament. 
And the word Elijah doesn't appear in the New Testament because one's Hebrew and the other's Greek. Now you're talking about the King James Bible, King right? James Translation. Bible, yes. And so the truth is that Elias and Elijah are the same person. Right. And that's reflected, I won't read it here, but it's in the book. And it talks about an occasion where James, uh, Peter and James and John, I guess, are asking him, well, is this going to, we're going to call down fire like Elias did? Well, of course, the story's taken from Kings, where Elijah draws right. down fire. Right. So they're referring to the same Elijah, but mm -hmm. they call him Elias, or at least the Greek. In the Greek, it's Elias. So it's an obvious indication that Joseph Smith didn't understand the Greek and the Hebrew. He didn't know the and, Greek and the Hebrew. He would, you would have not think done that, that. Section 110 would not be so explicit that these were two different people bringing... Right. Joseph so Smith Elijah's the Hebrew and I, I, Elias Elijah, is the Greek of the same name. Of the same person. Right, the same Again, person. Again, you don't find the word Elijah in the New Testament or Elias in the Old In the Testament. Old Testament because of the difference. Because the New Testament's one's, written in Greek and the Old Hebrew Testament's and written in Greek. Hebrew. And Joseph Smith did not know that. Well, you think God would. You know? God would know that. <laughs> God would know that. <laughs> So that was a bit of a problem. So uh, that, that that alone, I think, is evidence that we cannot trust um, his translation, his understanding of, of ancient biblical yeah. languages. So true. Okay, that's very interesting. Number 18, because of its sp spiritual significance, this is another one of my personal cringe yeah. doctrines. Yeah. Uh, and this is about the fig leaves worn in the LDS temple ritual. So we have a quote from page 265. So explain what's going on and whose idea, whose idea was it? Well, <laughs> you know, and I think this is actually may have been changed recently in the temple ceremony. I think it ceremony. probably was. I, I'm not sure that they've addressed this, if they've, I There's think been a lot of criticism about I think they're learning it. from the critics yeah, that they, they are. need to change this or that or something. And I think that's one of the reasons that they're, you know, the Book of Mormon introduction was changed to say that the American Indians are the Lamanites mm -hmm. and now they're just a because part of Because of DNA, of yeah. The same with the Book of Abraham. It's now not a translation. It's an inspired translation, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But here... I think, but when I went through the temple, when I went to the temple, the endowment ceremony included reenactment of the eldest version of what happened in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and became aware of their nakedness. According to the LDS temple ceremony or scenario, it was Lucifer who told them to make aprons from fig leaves. Okay. And then, of course, in the Bible, it, it tells us that uh, God uh, made coats of skin for them, mm -hmm. which was evidence of the blood sacrifice. Of so the fig leaves were of no value to him. He yeah. was, and the sad thing is, is that the Mormons, and this, I wrote this too somewhere in the book about my uh, situation when I saw my sister who'd passed. She's laying there in her temple clothes with the fig leaves on. Yeah, yeah. God never authorized the fig leaves. He never. took them off. He took them off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Took and, them off, replaced so them. It made me really sad and kind of, I mean, they just, they're just, they're just, they're still part of the temple ceremony and they wear them all the but way it's, through the it's end. But it's a, who commands them to put on their fig leaf aprons in the ceremony? Well, it was Satan the first time. Lucifer yeah. told, it's and they do the it. Bible. It's not in the Bible that way, right. but, but it is in the ceremony. And, and now and, I think they may have changed it, but yeah. I, I'm not sure about that. Right, right. But still, that's what they did and they obeyed him. And put on, got up and put on their, I did. their aprons. Yeah. I did. 
Well, they all do. And now I find they out that it. that's... Not even the way it was at all. Not even the way it was in the Bible. Right. Okay. That's So sad. That's pretty twisted. It's, yeah. It's, it really and, and how many temple goers do you believe even really know this? Oh. Probably I none. No. They don't. Probably none. They're not putting two and two together. That's mm -mm. for sure. And, then, and they don't read their Bibles. I mean, yeah. they don't yeah. compare it, I guess. I don't know. And maybe this is one of the revelations that come from the devil. <laughs> Very possible. Now, the next one is entitled Tithing or Cheerful Giving. Yeah. This is one of the things that impacted me, too, the difference yeah. uh, in Christianity you and in Mormonism. And polygamy. polygamy. Well, in the group that I was in, it wasn't tithing. It, it was, was like everything. Every consecration. <laughs> but some of the groups are do it with the tithing, right. the tithing way. But you were born and raised LDS, uh, and for several years, of course, now you've been a Christian. Your own personal experience, what's the difference in the LDS tithing attitude and, and doctrine compared with the Christian attitude and doctrine of tithing? Well, the way it impacts me is freedom. <laughs> I, an LDS person cannot give tithing to an organization, to a society, you know, an animal society or a homeless society. If they do, they still have to give their 10% to the church which I think is a, t a total difference, obviously. Now, mm -hmm. as a Christian, I'm free to give my donation, cheerful giving, wherever I want to, wherever I feel that it, it will do the most good. I'm not restricted to give my 10% to the church. So, and, and the word tithing isn't even in the New Testament. It isn't even in the New Testament, no. And Paul right. says that we should be a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, right. and not, not by coercion. And that was, that's a part of the, of the passage I like, is that we're not supposed to be coerced yeah. into tithing. Um, the bottom line being, what I give is between me and God and nobody else's business. That's right. <laughs> Well, and it was an Old Testament law, and, and Jesus never mentioned it. Uh, it's not one of his right. commandments or anything. Right. So, right. yeah, I, I guess freedom, I think, is the freedom. thing that hits me the most. And God's about. the author of freedom. Yeah. Right? He yeah, loves, he loves sure. people to be free. Um, and this applies to polygamists, too, I might add. Actually, polygamists are probably more strict uh, with their tithing yeah. law than the LDS people are because they do demand so much because mostly because they still are involved with the United Order concept mm -hmm. whereas the LDS church gave that up many, yeah. many, many, many years ago. Yeah, um, the, the Kingstons threaten your, li your eternal life. If you have your money in their group and then you decide to leave and take it out, they want you to leave at least just a little bit in there because if you take it all out, you lose your salvation. <laughs> So, like money? Like money is the criteria. You know, in heaven, the streets are paved with gold. That means that money, gold, is as valuable as asphalt, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're not, <It's> true. <laughs> there's no money value. Yeah, yeah, there's not any money value um, as far as the things like that go. So, so many differences that yeah. there are. Um, now we are we're getting towards the end of this, and and I wanted to read one little thing, if if I may, uh -huh. just a little. Again, with the church and and um, and they always talk about all the good that the church does, mm -hmm. you know, the donations and. But when you really look at it in percentages, it's pretty small. Very small percentage. Yeah. 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 And so I know we. 
I mean, we used to listen to talks about fast offerings and tithing and people giving money and the sacrifice you make. I mean, it, it, it probably, I'm sure the Lord's pleased with some sacrifice, but the purpose and all that is just so, so different. But, but the church always seemed, it was always built up as very... Um, Giving, you the know. The very best. Humanitarian, I mean, The church was yeah. just the best. Well, you know, I, I had a little wake-up call one day, and I, I wrote this down in just a couple of, a minute and a half or so, but have you ever come over the hill at night in southern Nevada and caught a view of Las Vegas's dazzling display of neon lights in the distance? It can be quite captivating, even awe-inspiring, but then have you gotten up in the morning to see the real Las Vegas, the littered streets, the world-weary <laughs> workers stumbling home after working all night, the noise, the dust, the traffic? Or maybe you've spent an evening at Disneyland with all the magical lights, laughter, and festivities. It's hard to find litter there because it's swept up constantly. Yet even there, when I began catching glimpses behind the vibrant exterior, I could see the facades, the metal scaffolding, employees, and machines just going about their business. The magic suddenly evaporates. I could see the grease, the wear and tear of the rides, the cold hard metal, and the maintenance crew scurrying about behind the scenes trying to keep things clean and working properly. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints now reminds me of the glitter and magic with which I was once captivated and mesmerized, but I now see it for what it is. I believe that many Latter-day Saints live out their religious life in this emo emotional glittery, even pleasurable euphoria. How great it is to belong to the only true church, Yet their faith in this only true church, while sincere and passionate, goes only as deep as their emotions. They want the dazzling lights of a night in Las Vegas. They want the happy, colorful magic of Disneyland. They don't want to see the unseemly reality or the proverbial man behind the curtain. They would prefer to continue with the illusion of the happiest church on earth. Having interviewed more than 350 former LDS members, I believe most would agree with me wow. on this. Wow, that's, yeah. that's a good analogy. Yeah. I like that. That's true. Um, you know, when you really look behind the scenes and you can be objective about, um, well, Joseph Smith and the stories that we, we uncover, it's... And there's so many, and shocking. so many people who leave, and this goes with polygamy too. They want to, they want to have this facade of I've got it all together. My family is a perfect family. I'm a perfect mother. I'm a perfect father. I'm a perfect everything. And and behind all of that, there isn't. A, there's no one that's perfect. There yeah. behind all that is is the 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 reality, and they don't like that to come out. Yeah, you see that. The bishop up on the stand it. and his wife and the six kids following her, you know yeah. what they've had to go through at yeah. home to get there to church. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it is a facade, and it's sad because we're all human, we're all prone to error. Well, and we, and, we just we want to be faithful, we want to prove ourselves, we want to appear to, to well have it all together. Yeah. yeah, and it's all about us. You know, that's the other thing that's been so enjoyable about this journey. It's about Jesus. It's all about Him. All, mm -hmm. all about Jesus and not about us and what we've accomplished. And and Jesus claimed to be God. He was God. Well, He's temple, our Savior. The temple, the tithing, the garments, everything is about us. Mm -hmm. The fig leaves, that's something we did. Yeah. 
where yeah. everything else really is about God and Jesus. In, in true Christianity, it's all about Jesus, yeah. nothing about us, right. except for that we need him so badly. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Earl. Well, my pleasure. Yes, Thank you very, very, much. very grateful for this conversation. <laughs> you know, for my closing comments this time, I want to quote from the last page of Earl's book. He said, um, As a follower of Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a forgiven sinner who is only worthy through his worthiness. The cross reminds me of what Jesus did for me. It symbolizes his righteousness, his sacrifice, and his grace. It is incredibly freeing to look to Jesus alone. What indescribable joy. And that's why we do what we're doing. We want our viewers, people in Mormonism, people in the bondage of polygamy, to know the joy that Jesus gives, Jesus alone that he gives, um, and it doesn't come through the Book of Mormon or through polygamy or through Joseph Smith or any of the Mormon doctrine. It comes only through Jesus when you give him your life because he gave his life for you. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.